Hi everyone. Hi. So this week I'm doing another episode of our Central American Diaspora series. And I'm really excited for this week's guest because I personally have been uh, lurking on their page because I have just a genuine interest in everything they have to say. And it speaks to a portion of my identity that I kind of keep a little disclosed. And yeah, this week's guest is Lucia. You are very uh, interesting to me because you have... I don't know. I think you have probably one of the most interesting Twitters that I've found in a while. So yeah, if you want to introduce yourself, just who you are, what you do, how you identify as. Yeah. Um, okay. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm Lucia. I'm 20. Uh, I live in Florida. Um, I'm an anthropology student. <laughs> I'm Guatemalan. Mm-hmm. Uh, hmm. What else? I'm a, I'm a Libra, I guess. Yes, uh, you are. <laughs> Which is great because I'm a Libra too. I'm Muslim. Uh, I'm also queer. <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. I don't know if there's anything else that interesting about me. <laughs> So you're from Tampa, Florida, which is something that I th- is a place that I've never been to. It's a place that everyone <laughs> talks about constantly on the news. Um, <laughs> everyone is scared of Florida, but also loves Florida at the same time. Yeah, I would like uh, the reason why I invited Lucia was because she has a, a K-pop stan account that i just love like i i am all i'm all here for k-pop stan twitter but also it's just something that i never see a lot of central americans or even just like a lot of latinx people putting that out there and i just really like that you are also involved in central american twitter but you just have a full-fledged like stan account and i just was very interested in your take as well as just growing up as queer Muslim Guatemalan in Florida, but also your take on that and K-pop culture, K-pop fandom, just how you how you roll with it and like what you do and just, I just thought you were cool. So I just hit you up. Like <laughs> that's the point of the show, hitting up people we think are cool <laughs> and having conversations. Cause I can't have this conversation with Sam. Sam is, Sam doesn't know anything about K-pop. He doesn't understand the fandom. He doesn't understand any of it. And there's very few people that I meet that do. So I just, I want to have like a real dialogue about your stands, your biases, your OTPs, your everything. <laughs> but, oh gosh, not the OTPs. <laughs> <laughs> but also, also about like your life in Florida and how mm-hmm. that has affected you and your Guatemalan-ness and everything so um how are you this week i just how are you pretty good i had spring break so the week was refreshing <laughs> anything sorry so we do this thing called shits and giggles which is like a good thing and mm-hmm. a bad thing in this week so you already told me a good thing um what is the bad thing i guess of the week that you are hoping to overcome <laughs> i've actually had a pretty good week <laughs> oh shit no i mean um, it's okay to not have anything <laughs> bad in your week that's great <laughs> no that's totally fine for me, damn, I mean, I had a, actually had a pretty rough week, but I cried at work because I oh I gosh. fucked up <laughs> at work. 
Mm-hmm. And it wasn't even a major fuck up or anything like that. It was more like I was very gung ho about doing something that I thought was very important. And I and we all talk about accountability in our organization. I was like, fuck it, I'm gonna keep y'all accountable mm-hmm. since you talk about accountability so much. The way that I did it um, was kind of like I should have gone through the correct channels of doing it. This is not a big deal because it really wasn't. And they were just like, okay, well, next time, <laughs> just make sure that you like communicate with this person no that's that's understandable yeah (laughs) and i was really thinking about it because my my hr person was really nice about it she's like no it's okay like you can cry like i cry at work all the time and and then i felt really reassured but it also made me think of like i i work in an almost all female like environment and office setting Mm -hmm. and like what if i i knowing myself i'm going to cry in other situations at work anything that just like really frustrates me or when i fuck up so what if it was like a more male dominated space or was a male hr person i always was just thinking like fuck like this could be something that can make people yeah like it could make me seem weak it can make me seem Mm -hmm. like i don't know unstable or emotion emotional like that so i don't know it's something that has been on my mind that i hope doesn't ever become a problem so that's kind of my shit and giggle combined because it still ended up being okay like nothing i was literally not in trouble Mm -hmm. it was more like i just need to make sure that i understand protocols more and that that's what happened to me this week Uh (laughs) well i'm glad it didn't it wasn't too awkward that you were able to combine the shit down no no no. i mean everything's a learning experience so that's kind of how i wanted to take it like yeah i failed but like you know you need to fail and like to learn and to get better so it it Mm -hmm. wasn't a huge deal okay so what song did you bring for us this week i'm very excited for your pick i i was just like hoping that it was going to be something that i loved so what is it i I actually, uh, I chose Eclipse by Luna. Um, it's sung by Kim Lip. I actually chose this song because I did not know what song to choose. And so I asked my sister for advice because she's not really a big K-pop fan, but she likes Luna. So that's the song she said was the best ch- the, the best song. <laughs> yeah, I'm really excited because I, I haven't really been a huge Luna like, fan. Not because I don't like them, more of like I just haven't paid attention mm-hmm. to them and i actually did hear this song and i was like damn like who is this who is this and then i was like oh shit yeah th- this is also the song that was recommended by nasa during the solar eclipse that happened over the summer i think so it's i guess another trivia fact <laughs> wow. about the song. i didn't know that well yeah because the eclipse just happened and that's what i thought about it when when like you said eclipse i was like hmm this is a good eclipse song <laughs> and it makes sense because it's like luna <laughs> luna Okay, so we're going to play the song, and it's it's a really great song. So this is Eclipse by Luna.
Thank you. <laughs> this <laughs> this is a good song. No, I I I don't know how. See, the thing with K-pop is that it's sometimes so hard to describe the music style because they just combine like three to four music styles in one song all the time. It's a it's yeah. a great song and the video is beautiful. I love how it's recorded. Just like the circle perspective, I have no idea how to describe that. <laughs> But you know what I mean if I watch the video. Yeah, it's it's a really yeah, yeah, it's a really pretty video. <laughs> yeah, it's in, a, in an abandoned yeah. place. <laughs> can you actually so because I'm not familiar with Luna, can you describe to me the the so all of their music videos have like Luna slash Chu, Luna slash Kim Lip, Luna slash Jin Soul. Like, do you, can you explain that to me? Is that like a specific thing that is just for Luna in general? Or are those just members' names and I'm just like messing it up? <laughs> okay, yeah, those, okay. That's because in 2016, they started a really long pre-debut, I guess, mm -hmm. a way to promote them. So technically, they haven't debuted as an official group yet. And just recently, the last member was revealed about two days ago. So these are all songs before they've officially started as a group. So each of those members, like Kim, mm -hmm. Lip, and Chu that you mentioned, they're all just members that have a solo before the official uh, group is put together and they all release songs together. Shit. Okay, so it's basically a very long... Um, it reminds me of EXO when they debuted in 2012. They're super long, like prologue. I think that's what they're called, prologue songs. Yeah, yeah, yeah so it's like of. singles that they draw. <laughs> that are meant to promote them that aren't debuts but they're still technically debut songs but they're not yeah because i mean they after they after the solos do their their little solo songs they make small subgroups within that uh -huh. actually have promoted on music shows and stuff so i mean technically it might as well be debuted but the final member was released so hopefully the full group will be having full promotion soon that's like the really crazy thing about k-pop is that it's so complex within just like one there there are so many themes and just such complicated uh dynamics within each group and then the idea of subgroups groups and then solo music and they have the concepts of all these groups are so interesting and it's very creative and it, it's definitely very story driven which is really cool so i want to talk about k-pop a lot more but i also want to talk about you just mm -hmm. ask you some questions and because I'm, i'm just very interested in uh what what you got to say so there's like a really big long-standing uh history of like islam and middle eastern influence in latin america and central america there's huge diasporas of of middle eastern countries coming to latin america and it's often ignored or kind of forgotten so how do you see your religious like islamic identity intertwined with your central american guatemalan identity well i actually I converted. I used to be a Jehovah's Witness before. In my area, there aren't very many, um, I guess, hmm, I don't know how to pronounce yeah. it, but I guess Latinx Muslims. Uh, they're mostly South Asian and Arab. So it's very rare to find other Latinx Muslims, much mm -hmm. less like Central American Muslims. It kind of it kind of help me, helps me uh, try to solidify my own identity because I feel like oftentimes when people convert to Islam, they kind of tend to co-opt South Asian and Arab 
I guess cultural stuff I'm just like it's probably not the best idea since I'm yeah. I don't I'm not either of those so I try not to appropriate things that really aren't part of the religion itself and just cultural aspects of I guess uh dominant mm-hmm. groups within the religion but in this area and there are lots of other uh Cuban and um Puerto Rican and Dominican Muslims but I've never met them so I'm kind of just always whenever I go to the mosque I'm always the one person there who doesn't speak any of the other languages other than English so it's always kind of yeah quite kind of isolating at times but so yeah i'm wondering did are you the only one in your family that is a convert or did your entire family do that as well um i'm the only one uh the majority of my family is either jehovah's witnesses or atheist i think that religion i think because we're like millennials or whatever religion is something that we we really don't talk about Mm -hmm. a lot because we see it as something that's like very archaic it's something that i guess we choose to defend right Mm-hmm. But it's also something that we definitely, yeah, and I mean, historically has like led to like deaths, like colonization, um, subjugating like women and queer folks to death, essentially. So I guess wondering like why you felt that something in Islam like called you to become a convert because uh, I I remember. I lived with someone uh, a, a few years back that was Palestinian and she ha- gave me this like very interesting conversation of how converts are probably some of the most interesting people in Islam and she's always wondering about like why people choose to convert when they, they don't grow up in like a traditional traditionally Muslim culture. Yeah, um, the reason I actually chose to convert was because in seventh grade I had read... Um... A Thousand Splendid Sons by uh, Khaled Hosseini. And I realized as I read the book that I didn't really understand very much about Islam. And I'm just, so out of curiosity, I did more research. So I knew what what I had were misconceptions or what was actually true. And as I did more research over like six years, I just found I liked the religion more and more. And it, it gave me a lot of hope because I've always had always been like very worried with existential (laughs) existential stuff like what happens after death so it's just to me religion is more of a it's like a comfort than knowing even if it's not real to me it's gives me like i guess the strength to keep on trying anyways so that's how i converted about a a year or two ago how i mean okay i don't want to like you you can obviously say no because if these questions get too personal mm-hmm. but because like in latinx communities like christianity or like subsets of christianity like seventh day adventists uh, evangelicals catholicism uh jehovah witnesses uh it's like traditionally like what do they call like abrahamic religions i think just saying so, you know subsets of christianity and was that something that mm-hmm. really because I, I know that a lot of uh JWs can be really intense. But I mean there's always intense people in every re- in, in every religion, not just yes. like JWs. <laughs> but was that mm-hmm. just something was that really hard? Like asking like I feel like that probably would have been really hard like telling your family, "Hey, I'm going to go join this religion that a lot of people talk shit about constantly in the media all the time." <laughs> I actually um I was really scared about it cuz obviously like most of my family is like Christian. And so my mom isn't, but uh, she had been she had a very uh, bad relationship with religion, and she is not a big fan. So I had been kind of nervous of telling her, and I actually told her because um, we we used to really like watching uh, Casos Cerrados together. So. <laughs> that show oh my god okay sorry that's a good show but it's also like trash but it's also good (laughs) yeah and out of out of like the biggest coincidence there had been this one episode where there was this girl who had 
converted to Islam and her aunt had converted to become a Jehovah's Witness and they were both supporting each other. And so I was really interested and kept telling my mom, I want to watch this show and I, I want to watch this episode. And after that episode, I told her and I was like crying and all the dramatic stuff. And my mom's like, no, no, it's OK. Um, I will support you. So, I mean, generally, it's it's been pretty OK. My uh, mm-hmm. I, had, I didn't have like the best reaction with my dad. Yeah. But that was whatever um. <laughs> it's okay central american men are, are trash it's okay <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but no it's good it's good that you at least had like one parent that can really support you mm-hmm. in your decision because you know religion is super personal and i had a varied history i guess with religion my parents are both catholic but they they weren't super serious i'm really grateful that they weren't people that really forced a religion onto me and they're both i would mm-hmm. say more like casual catholics like they generally believe in the ideas and they are down to go to church but they're not gonna be like we need to go every single week you're you can't mm-hmm. be doing this because what would god think type they're not like that i think they see it more for the value of like the community and like the the time of really accessing your like spirituality and a a real sense of just like emotionally putting yourself vulnerable for the better of yourself which is something that i've been thinking more about religion because i mean there's definitely a lot of reasons why religion is toxic just like anything so and like zealots and like cults and all these things you know religion definitely feeds into some of those things but the reason why it's it's because you put yourself in such a vulnerable spot you know you really let in a lot of very difficult conversations like come into a huge space with with people that you may or may not know right and it's it's beautiful but it's 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 hard like religion is a very it's very personal and it's very difficult yeah like um one of the reasons I had initially, because I had been very religious as a child, and then I had stopped. I had stopped being a Jehovah's Witness whenever my mom left, and so one of, because there aren't very many Central American people in my area, mm-hmm. so one of the very, I guess, very positive religious experiences I had was after my mom was searching around for a religion, and we had been invited by this Central American uh, family to participate with them. I guess um, I think in with Noche Buena, mm-hmm. and so we had gone and carried like a little, I guess, model. <laughs> Jesus, I'm not quite sure what they're called, <laughs> around the around the cul-de-sac and had been very, I had enjoyed it very much because it was, it gave, it, it gave me a really big sense of community, which I definitely lacked. And that's one of the things I really drew me to Islam, which is the feeling of community yes. that I don't really have because there aren't, again, that many Central Americans here here in Tampa that I've met at the very least. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I have been, I've been reading a lot and I put this as a question wondering if this has personally affected you or if you were a part of this diaspora, but there's a lot of like indigenous Guatemalans that travel to Florida to do a lot of agricultural and landscaping uh, labor. And I, I guess I'm more su- surprised that it hasn't, that's still a community that you I guess haven't had access to and it makes me de- I think it's probably depending on what part of Florida and maybe that's where the hot spot is but that's not your case if it's in I guess it's not in Tampa yeah it's probably in other parts of Florida yeah actually um I until I took I'm taking a fr- uh, forensic anthropology class right now and I didn't realize that there were so many indigenous Guatemalans who come over to mm-hmm. Florida because I like most people I just tend to be under the assumption that that, that they uh I guess that I don't know I know that there are lots of Central Americans who come over, yeah. but the big, the big in the, in the media is basically just these people are usually Mexican, and I just didn't realize that Florida had, I guess, such a big agricultural business. Even though we have 
orange trees and all these different types of stuff. But um, in my forensic science class, we were talking about how actually, um, unfortunately, like a lot of the unidentified bodies um, found here in Florida tend to belong to um, indigenous Guatemalans because... And then there's a huge problem because they don't have the papers in order identify to identify uh, them. Wow, be identified. That's crazy. So it's really kind of sad. Um, no, no, that is really sad. Yeah, I learned about the. So I was an anthropology major in college too, and that's also where I learned about the big migration of indigenous Guatemalans to Florida, mm-hmm. uh, because I, I had um, there was a grad student professor that I had that did a lot of work with uh, like that, that that migration of indigenous people to the United States. And that's like one of the groups mm-hmm. that she did a lot of interviewing and ethnographies with. And yeah, that's very interesting. When I heard that, I was like, huh, because I'm, I'm from LA and there's a lot of water, like I knew so many Guatemalans in LA. My first uh, fling <laughs> was with the Guatemalan guy. <laughs> And yeah, I just, it's kind of crazy to think of how big the United States is and just like how different every, every place is. Florida is just so different from California in terms of like Latinidad, in terms of just uh, weather, mm-hmm. political beliefs, everything. I And we always shit on Florida for, I don't know, voting Republican and doing this. And and. Lots of very wild yeah, Florida man. Too. And <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I guess I'm wondering of like how I know that you do you live in Tampa or do you live near Tampa? I'm just wondering. I live uh I live in Tampa, I guess in the pretty central hmm, area okay. of Tampa. Um mm-hmm. I'm pretty I'm That's good, that's good. So I guess maybe because you're in a city, it's not as as bad. But how does the Florida political climate, how how do you feel like it's been affecting you as well as like the Central American community that you see within Florida, maybe not surrounding you immediately, but just in general? And I would say, uh, I guess since most of the, uh, the Latino people here in Florida that I've met tend to be Cuban and then along with tending to be Cuban, they tend to be Republican. So um, there aren't very often, like recently there's like this whole thing with the temporary protected status and DACA and then just with undocumented immigrants in general, but it's been kind of, I guess, silent in this area, not not very much activism, I guess, going yes. around surrounding it. And so there is a lot of people who, since most of the Latino people I, I communicate daily tend to be more on the side of oh immigration is bad and documented immigrants are bad and just yeah, that kind that of conservative <laughs> that kind of a dialogue oh man so conservative <laughs> like latinx dialogue yeah which which i'm so- i'm sorry that that's like how it is and i remember when i whenever i first applied to my university i thought it'd be like I would be able to find a Central American Student Association or something like that on my college, but there's like there's nothing like that. And I every every year every semester I search to see if maybe somebody started something up, but the only thing is the Latino Student Association, which I might I might try to apply there to see if there are any other Central Americans. But everything is mostly a uh, Cuban or Puerto Rican or Dominican at times, but mostly the first two. So there's not very much variety. Oh wow! Yeah, there's been a big resurgence i feel at least on um on the west coast of central americans starting their own organizations Mm -hmm. which i think is really great but also we we definitely do have a lot of central americans on the west coast so i think i mean i think it's something that you could possibly try exploring if i mean if that's something that you even would like to do if that's a workload that you feel like you can handle because obviously that's gonna take a lot of work i think that if you're even able to manifest that space, I think it would be really cool if you were to lead it. <laughs> and I 
it would be great if you <laughs> I think you would be a really fresh like face and perspective towards like Central Americanness and uh, having that in Florida sounds like lit also are you so you're from Tampa are you are you like is your family in Tampa as well and you're going to school in Tampa my I'm going to school in Tampa um my immediate family mm-hmm. like my mom and my sister are in Tampa but everybody else is in Texas Chicago Not every- um yeah, <laughs> or Guatemala itself. So there's no nobody else here. Are both your parents Guatemalan? Yes, they're both. They both are. Okay, cool. Just wondering. <laughs> uh, <laughs> in Florida, I feel like everything that I hear is is it's super Cuban in terms of like Latinx identity, in a similar way that in the Southwest, in California, Nevada, Texas, it's very Mexican. That's that's like type of Latinidad. So there can be definitely like a hegemony. Mm-hmm. That's something that we always talk about. Is there a sort of Cuban hegemony or a domination of like that type of Latinidad in Florida that kind of makes it a little more difficult to flourish your own identity? And I guess I'm wondering how that is different because there's still a mixture of like Dominicans and Puerto Ricans. So it's still kind of similar to Central American culture because we have a lot of like yuca and like platanos and a little bit mm-hmm. more of those types of uh, staple foods, but the culture is still very different, you know? The mo- most most of the, I guess, reactions I get from other Latinas who aren't Central American and just, uh, like, in my workplace, I know, like, I know the people I've known them for years, so I know they don't say it out of, like, I guess, a nasty intention, but they always call it, like, those esos países ex- extraños, and I'm just like, ah, we're not mm-hmm. strange places just because we're not Cuban, you know? <laughs> and, like, I remember um, I had asked my grandma to bring me a book from... Guatemala that was written in Spanish so I could practice my Spanish and I had showed it off in middle school to my friends and they're all like what is this strange Spanish it's so weird it's so hard to understand and I had felt so embarrassed afterwards like oh my Spanish is weird (laughs) so I guess it's just sort of like that but most of the people I uh I guess I communicate with these days tend to not be Latino because I went to a high school that was predominantly I guess uh the the little program I was in the most of the students were Indian and um, white, so there weren't really any other Latinos to talk to. So all my friends now tend to be not Latino. Mm, that's interesting. In college, I feel that that was kind of what I that happened to me. I generally only hung out with uh, Asian Americans or Black folks. So there mm-hmm. are very few Lat- like Latinx people that I hung out with until my senior year when I like pushed myself to join. Latinx organizations on campus and that mm-hmm. was where it happened just because and it wasn't even intentional it was just like the people that I ended up hanging out with like there was definitely like Latinx people there but for some reason I just wasn't in like a whole Latinx squad because that's how I was basically up until high school like I only hung out with Latinx people there may be like one random like other person or whatever but it was generally Latinx because that's just that's just the majority of the people there and that's just where I was from you know no that happened to me in middle school um since the middle school I went to the for the first two years were predominantly uh Latinx Mm. then they were mostly Cuban um all my almost all my friends there were actually all my friends were uh Latinx not a not much uh I guess diversity there because they were we were all there uh Latino so it was when high school came that I I guess the demographics changed completely in my of who attended my school so I I was still wondering uh how you felt uh, your Islamic and Muslim identity intertwines with your queer identity because I mean, as you as you know, like I mean, like with religion, like it's it's a touchy subject, and even just within our culture, 
it doesn't even need to be religion uh, just like machismo and just like anti-queer sentiment is very rampant in our culture how do you feel that ties in with your Central American identity as well as with your Muslim identity I personally don't have too much trouble reconciling the two because I don't think I don't think the religion itself has too much against queerness but I think the problem is mostly with a lot of Muslims themselves who are rampant are like very violently yeah. homophobic and not everybody so what I usually do is I try to I, I go to the, like in person in the real life I guess I go to the mosque and I go there to pray and I go during holidays and I go for classes which is always nice and the people are there are always very welcoming but whenever I want to talk about my queerness in particular like because I'm not re- I'm not really out yeah. to the people yeah. at the mosque but on on the internet I usually try to uh, communicate with other queer Muslims and that's pretty nice because we can it's just like a safe place I guess to be able to talk about our experiences and stuff like that I don't really find too much my trouble my problems really aren't with the religion itself but more with lots of the muslims even the ones who say there's nothing wrong with being queer or being gay but the problem is just make sure not to act on it to me that's still very homophobic anyways because it's still denying a very essential essential part of the person so yeah so so that's basically my my no no no, i i agree like i even i know plenty of people who are very like anti-queer anti-anything like violently anti-queer and they're not religious at all, you know? It, a lot of it is just stemmed with, like, mm-hmm. masculinity, a fear of just the unknown, all of this just ignorance, you know? And it, a lot of it, I feel like religion is used in, as an excuse. Like, there are very unclear within Christianity and Islam and in a lot of religions, there are very, like, unclear ideas of queerness, you know? Like, there are no literal Mm -hmm. words that it's, like, being queer is bad, you know? And we still think that there is something like that. And there is so much documented history of, like, queer religion, too. So it just... Mm-hmm. It is, I think, just entirely cultural at that point. And a- an idea of, like, we don't want to see queer women together or we or gender queerness is is too confusing or people just, like, don't want anything new, you know? Like, they, they just don't understand it and they don't want to be pushed into these boundaries. So I definitely think that it is more cultural versus religious. Yeah, and um, I guess to tie it to the Central American part, too, um, in my family, there's a whole, there's a whole problem because... Actually, a lot of us are apparently queer, but uh, there's some family members who completely mm-hmm. deny it, even though they have had history and then go and are entirely hypocritical. And my aunt is actually married to another woman, but because of all the cultural stuff against against it, so much of our family has just abandoned oh, her, sorry. basically. So you know, that's actually something I'm really uh, proud of with my mom, because she used to be very homophobic, but over the years, she has become accepting. And even whenever I told her and I came out to her, she was, I know, for because my aunt told me that she had been freaked out a bit but she has still been very very accepting and just opening her mind more and I try to whenever she says something kind of bad I'm like hey mom maybe maybe not that so I think it just depends I guess with the people who yeah who surround you yeah accepting I'm really glad that you at least have been able to foster like a very close relationship with your mom because you know a lot of people don't have the the luxury of having a parent that's Mm open-minded so I'm glad that you have that in your life because that that really helps a lot for sure. Yeah, yeah, it's it's very lucky. I I see. Unfortunately, I I don't want to mm-hmm. I guess overstep <laughs> because I'm not I'm not like a, I wasn't raised Muslim, but I know like lots of Muslim people have problems with their family being very not very very unaccepting, not even thinking that they ever have the chance to come out to them. So I'm very grateful that I have my mom 
who is accepting on both me becoming Muslim and me, be- mm-hmm. me being queer, oh, I guess. Beautiful. Ah, okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so I wanted to jump into the next section, which is what initially drew me to your Twitter. <laughs> I, I was hoping if you could explain what a, what a K-pop stan account is and... I remember, I think Sam sent it to me. I don't even know how he like noticed it, but he sent it to me because he saw the little watermelon flags in your bio. And I was just like, what? What? (laughs) Okay, okay. So I know that your Twitter is not only exclusively a K-pop stand account, and you also tweet about Central American issues, your own personal life. But can you still explain to me what a K-pop stand account is? Because I feel like the majority of your account is still a a stand account. Yeah, uh... Basically, um, I, I originally started my Twitter so I could keep up with BTS updates and so I could get pictures from fan sites, which I guess for people who don't know, are they're like fans who travel to concerts and events, like usually within Korea, but if they leave Korea, they go, they travel outside the country too and just take really high quality pictures. So I had originally started following following them to to get access to those pictures basically and for updates with bts a stand account i guess is just basically where you talk about k-pop you reblog things about k-pop everything is k-pop related you talk up your your favorite idols like Mm -hmm. extremely and it's basically like if you've ever been part of any fandom just replace that like anime or like a book series or anything and just replace it with k-pop which is originally kind of weird at the beginning to get into because you're like these are real people but then there's so much content that they put out beyond like i guess western artists who just usually put out their music and that's it there's like shows that they go on and all this different stuff that just makes it a lot easier to get into and become a fan yes i definitely agree I also think that K-pop, which is Korean pop, by the way, I don't know if we ever mentioned it. <laughs> I know, right? Korean oh, yeah. pop. It's it's something that I feel like Twitter, at least the general sense of Twitter, a lot of people are very intimidated by it and think it's a very intense community, which I can agree that it is a very intense community. And from seeing mm-hmm. it from the outside, you're kind of just like, what are these people like? <laughs> Who are they? Why are they retweeting all these pictures of these like teenagers <laughs> constantly? I wanted to ask you about your introduction to K-pop because I re- remember very vividly how I was introduced to K-pop. There was this one girl. So I used to take the school bus to go to school because my school was very far from my house. And mm-hmm. I, this girl who I actually did not like at all, but I took the bus with her. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was just like watching these videos on her phone and I was just being nosy and she was just like oh yeah look this is what it is and I and uh, it was Beast who is now Highlight but it was Beast and this was probably uh-huh. like what like 2011 2012 and I was just like what is this they're such good dancers all of these lights with that hair like <laughs> I was just like so like enamored <laughs> because it was just so visually stimulating which I think is why a lot of people get into k-pop because they'll watch a music video and they're like what is this like this is a- amazing choreography amazing video quality the mm-hmm. song is like banging and you're just kind of like wow like this is like a-, a lot of work you can tell goes into this so what was kind of your introductory moment into K-pop? So uh, for me, I, I guess it was kind of in steps because I I was sort of into Korean dramas mm-hmm. before I was actually into K-pop because I, uh, I had been on Netflix and my cousin had showed me a drama and I had been gotten, I had loved it so much. So I started watching dramas. I didn't really listen to K-pop. The first K-pop song I actually listened to was in eighth grade. I remember it vividly. I was in, I was in my Chinese class and I was... 
at the time, I was like a huge emo. <laughs> Me too. And, like, I was really into Emily. Oh、Autumn. my god! <laughs> I was. I had only one eye for like ten years because I had bangs that were always covering them. <laughs> I tried to do that, but my mom never let me cut my hair with the emo with the emo hairstyles.、So、I was always like fake doing it. But um, yeah. So she had. We had been talking in our school. It was an old school, but they had started a new program where they had turned it into an all-girls school, and they had introduced like iPads so that everybody would get、mm-hmm. an iPad. And so we were there in a the Chinese class, and then she were, we were talking about music. And in the iPad, you weren't allowed to、uh, go onto any music sites because it was school related. But there was like a way to get onto this version of Spotify where you could find music.、Mm-hmm. And so she had told me about twenty one, and I remember being so confused. I'm like twenty one, like. The number, and and so I typed it in. I remember I listened to a couple songs, and I was like, "Oh gosh,、uh, this is this is not for me." And so I kind of for like a couple years, or not even a couple of years,、uh, for a couple months, I was like, "Okay, let me." That wasn't for me. I'm not gonna listen to it. But um, when I got into high school the following year, when 2012,、yeah. I had all my friend my friends slowly started getting into K-pop, and so. I had been kind of. I wanted. I didn't really. I wasn't really close friends with them, so I was trying to find something to talk about with them. So I had been trying to get into it, but still, I had liked some. I had liked some songs, but I still wasn't a big fan until finally,、uh, in about September of twenty seventeen, I finally like took the plunge and like listened to. I watched like the EXO. The EXO had this show called EXO Showtime, and I watched all twelve episodes in like. I don't. Know, I think it was twelve episodes. I watched it all in like one <laughs> night to the morning, and I stayed up all night to watch it. And I was. I know. <laughs> oh my god. And I.、Oh. Yeah, I had liked them since I had liked some K-pop music from twenty fifteen, and I jokingly because my I knew my friends liked EXO at the time. I was like, oh gosh, BTS is so much better. I would. I only listened to BTS songs, and I didn't know. About being a part of a music fandom, because to me, music was always just you listen to the music and that's it. There's not really anything else to do with it. So I would like jokingly say, "Oh yeah, BTS is yeah, it's good, but BTS is better." And then I actually got into K-pop later, and then I was like, "Oh my gosh, really into EXO for a while." And then I、uh, actually did really switch <laughs> to BTS as my favorite. Oh、group. my god, BTS! <laughs> I feel like BTS is so that that fandom that that specific K-pop group. So BTS, <laughs> EXO,、um, Beast. These are all K-pop groups, and a lot of them are generally. I don't know. They can range in sizes. They can be from like four members to up to twelve. They can be massive. They can also lose a member or two, and there's always controversies based on that. But like I said in before, a lot of these are very complex choreographies that they do. They release tons of albums. They're on variety shows, like talk shows. They a lot of them also do side stuff like acting, and they'll sell chicken. And they're super big on sponsorships in Korea. And、mm-hmm. the albums are, the albums are completely different from like the jewel case albums that、mm-hmm. most people think of. These are like they they're collectibles. They have like photo books with nice quality, usually nice quality pictures printed. They come in different versions, so each version has different pictures. So like that's a way that they make money. They just release all these versions, hoping the fans will buy all of them to collect them all. To get all the exclusive content, so they're like, so they're different from like the the regular,、uh, just the CD and the track list. The a lot of yeah, and it's a lot more engaging. Like, 
I think K-pop um, artists in general are pushed to be more in- like have a greater engagement with their audience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like Definitely. you yeah. you are able if you live in Korea, you are able to basically like see them pretty regularly if you put in the time and the money for it. Like um, they have fan signs usually to promote the albums where you can just go there and get your album signed. And the, the, if the group is small, it's pretty easy to get into them. But I know if like you want to get into a BTS fan sign since they've gotten so big, now you had to buy like 600 albums hoping that you'll get the lucky number that says you're allowed to go into the fan sign to t- to talk to them, have them sign your albums, and all these different types of interaction that you usually don't get regularly with with a yeah. Western artist. And it, the, the fandom is just intense, like... It's really cool and it's so, I think, overlooked in the Latinx community how many people and how much K-pop is actually manifested and the idea of Hallyu. Hallyu is the concept of, it's called the Korean wave and it's basically Korean media and culture manifesting all over the world. So it's not only like Korean music K-pop, but it's also Korean dramas uh, Korean food, just Korean television in general, and just like a wave of Korean culture. And it's, and I, I don't know, and I, I lived in Korea for a year. I don't know if, uh, if I ever mentioned it or if you heard, but if you heard, if you heard. Oh, no, I didn't, <laughs> no. but that's cool. <laughs> but I, I, I studied abroad and I lived in Korea for a year because I, the way that I was raised, I grew up with a lot of Koreans. So I, I lived, uh, mm-hmm. uh, my mom has been working with Koreans for a very long time. Uh, and they, they were like essentially like godmothers to me. Like they would give me gifts on my birthday and mm-hmm. the, all this stuff. And they still like look out for my mom. And my mom has been working with Koreans for a very long time. And then I went to high school like right next to Koreatown. So I just like naturally had a lot of Korean friends growing up. So it's just the culture in LA, like like, mm-hmm. like Latinx culture and Korean culture is very intertwined. So I just was immediately drawn into it. And there's a lot of similarities, I feel, with like family structures, collectivism, respecting of elders and all these other things. So it was something that I was just drawn to because I just felt like there was just a lot of cultural similarities. I, I think that I, at least when I was growing up, me liking K-pop, I was the only one within my friend group that liked K-pop and everyone thought it was really weird. They were always like, that's like creepy, <laughs> like why do you like this? Like you don't even understand the words. They're wired <laughs> like my, my my parents would be like, ¿Y por qué estás viendo todos estos chinos? And I'm just like, they're not chinos, they're Korean. <laughs> but, yeah. uh, oh my gosh, yes. <laughs> like that all, all my, because I, I, whenever I, uh, I worked with my mom for a bit at a at a, a office, a medical office, and um, basically the entire staff are are Cuban except I think uh, two Colombian people. I had like my my little photo cards there framed as because everybody else had pictures of their kids, <laughs> oh and I'm my... like I'm too young to have kids, oh so God. let me just put my idols. <laughs> so I had them there, <laughs> and they're like, oh my God, those chinitos, they look like girls. Why do you? <sighs> then I'm, I'm all this stuff. I'm like, listen. They're beautiful and they're Korean, so please, they're they're not girls. And even if I don't know, there's I feel like a lot of pe- a lot of people yes. just feminize mm-hmm. feminize them a lot and misgender them a lot. And I'm just like, come on, there are different ways of expressing your gender that are not strictly you have to be masculine all the yeah. time. Like I don't know, 
I, I think that a lot of people, a lot of uh, Latinx people tend to see Asia as a monolith and they're all Chinos when that's no, like obviously. completely yes. false. Super. And so. it's something that I just think it's so strange. And if they actually lived in, La- like, they sell out when they t- tour Latin America. I don't know if you've ever seen this concert that EXO put on in, in Mexico. And they sang Sabor a Mi in Spanish. Mm-hmm. Like, they did, like, all these songs in Spanish. And it was, like, the fucking packed concert. Like, they sell out when they go to Brazil and wherever else. And they have their Latin America tours. Um, so I also want to talk about this. And it's pretty sad, but when um, Jonghyun passed, like the there were so many fandoms, not just in Korea and in Asia, but all over the United States. In DF, I saw shit in Chile, Argentina. Like I saw shit everywhere. People putting vigils and just like showing like a unity yeah. like worldwide. And as I had so many friends that were like, who is this? Like, who is this person? My own friends that know I like K-pop, they had students, because uh, a lot of them work in education, that, like, talked about it and how it, like, affected them. And I'm like, mm-hmm. yeah, bitch, because K-pop is so fucking real and big. Like, and it's crazy. A lot of people think, like, the language is such a big barrier, but whenever you have such dedicated fans always translating lyrics and almost... And if the fandom is big, it almost, like, instantaneously it's like... There isn't really that much of a difference because you can just read what they say yeah, and you still get connected yeah, anyway. It, so. Yeah, the fandom is is so on it. <laughs> uh, when I was in Korea, man, dude, mm-hmm. I, I lived I, a block away from the subway and I would always mm-hmm. go. And in Korea, you know, you just you just celebrated Yoongi Day, which is... <laughs> I saw that. <laughs> I know. So uh, in in K-pop and in like the fandom, usually on the birthday of a of an idol of a of a singer, uh, a lot of people will like be like happy blank day, and it'll be just like celebrating their birthday and just like who they are and their work and everything. And in Korea, they do that too. And I feel like the most dedicated fans, the most intense fans, are the Chinese fans because. Yes, they will buy billboards, massive billboards, they'll collect money from it, and they will have an ad in the subway being like, happy Baekhyun Day, or happy, I don't know, Mino Day, happy this, and it'll be in the subway for like a month. And I would always wait and see, because there's always one billboard that would always have them, and they would put a little thing on the bottom being like, from account... 3, 4, Z, T, X, Y, Z, I don't know, Weibo. And they'd always put their little Weibo, <laughs> which is basically like the Chinese Facebook, Twitter um, website. And it's just so intense. Like people buy billboards for these people, for these celebrities. And mostly in the BTS fandom. Even now there's like one, they put them in, in Brazil and Chile and like all these different places that you wouldn't think, like you you think maybe, maybe okay in Korea, they put all these billboards, but they do it in other countries too, because it's so widespread. It is becoming so widespread that they advertise it everywhere. Yeah, and it's it's cool that it that it's kind of manifested into that. But I also think that there should be a very clear separation with K-pop and international K-pop consumption versus Korean music consumption by Korean people, because that's something that at least living there, and I'm sure a lot of people that are into K-pop and in the K-pop stan community mm-hmm. know that what people, I guess 
internationally consume is not the same as what Korean people in Korea consume. K-pop, at least over there, I mean, there's definitely fans, definitely, not even mm-hmm. running, of course there is, but it's, I think, seen more as like top 40 music as an equivalent to like the US. And people know the songs because they just hear it everywhere because it's like a top song. But people aren't necessarily like, in, in Korea, not every single person is is a bts stan and like they're all like this like a lot of people don't understand why international Mm -hmm. audience audiences like k-pop so much like they don't see it as anything that's like out of the ordinary for them and a lot of them like don't understand why people are so interested in korean culture and the korean music scene in general what sells in korea doesn't necessarily sell in k-pop like yeah, like I like I was talking to Sam about this, how Boa, Boa is like a, the queen of K-pop. And I feel like when Boa drops something, people like generally like OGs and people who just like her will like shout her out. But it's mm-hmm. not like when BTS, which is like a more current hot uh, K-pop group, released something that's like a huge deal. Like they're coming back. They're coming back. Mm-hmm. So, but in Korea, when she releases an album, like, it's hot. Like, people are on it. Like, Boa is a queen. Like, she, everyone knows Boa. They grew up with Boa. And she is, like, a Korean staple. And there's so many people like that in general in Korean media that, like, we don't really acknowledge. Uh, but in Korean daily lives, they are the real celebrities versus, like, idols. A lot of people don't know idols, even though they're internationally recognized. Or they're or they're in all these commercials, but not really... Cause I, I mean I I've never lived in Korea but like like with all the award shows all like all the general ones like the Melon and all those stuff all those t- all the artists nominated tend to be K-pop artists but then there's like a uh, award show that's kind of treated with respect I think yeah. the Korean Music Awards I'm not yeah. quite sure but I think it's that one and most of the most of the artists nominated aren't aren't K-pop idols because it's not like it's, yes, it's not. It's not like with the general general public. Yeah, I mean, it's like to, the Grammys. It's it's like there's people who are super popular. Like I don't know, Fifth Harmony. I'm just like naming random people. But like, are they gonna win Grammys for their album? Probably not. You know, like it's it's like top forty. Sometimes mm-hmm. you can like I don't know, like Taylor Swift or I can't think of any other person who releases kind of like whatever music but still gets nominated for Grammys. Um, and and it's it's the same thing and i i think we like sometimes don't differentiate that in 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 the k-pop stand community and we're kind of just inflating what k-pop is and like hallyu and like korean dramas and all that to be like what korean culture really is and it's not and it's interesting that kind of k-pop international media is 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 very different from just like Korean media itself. Like it has become its own different object, its mm-hmm. own different identity, its own different like being, and it it doesn't represent Korea in a lot of ways. It's like not Cor- mm-hmm. I mean, it is Korean, and that that's like the media coming from. But is that Korean culture? Honestly, not like not really. It's like fandom culture. A lot of K-pop fans, and I guess K-drama fans too. I guess it applies. I feel like they often romanticize Korea and ignore all the, I guess, the bad things that can happen there. So, like, they have in their, the image from in their mind that this is how it is and don't take the full picture and just kind of pick and choose what they want and what is nice. Rather, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I totally agree. Like, <laughs> we can, I can talk about for days what is wrong with, there's so mm-hmm. many, like, there's so many things. I have a massive list. Okay, appropriation <laughs> of black culture 
anti-blackness, racism within the fandom Mm -hmm. community. It can be so intense that there's a name for fans that are stalkers, the fans that like send out death threats, all these things. They're called sassings and they're just like the pinnacle of just like what I think people think K-pop fans are, but they're actually like what K-pop fans hate. Like those are the people that we don't want to associate ourselves with that we really dislike. Also, we fetishize Mm -hmm. a lot of these people. I'm not black, so I don't want to like over overstep my my mm-hmm. boundaries there. But like, there's so much violent anti-blackness. In, oh yeah, in K-pop, whether it's the idols appropriating or the fans themselves, I don't know. So many fans are obsessed with the idea that their that their favorite that their idol can do no wrong, and so they will not only brush away what they will the bad the mistakes that their idols have done, but they will actively attack those. Who are often black people because of like because a lot of it is anti-blackness it's just and it, like violently attack them and do all these things edit blackface pictures and all these vi- no yeah they do <laughs> i don't know like just violent violent anti-blackness no and don't want to acknowledge that their fans messed up yeah uh, that their idols messed yes, up. yes yes completely like do you remember i know that you're into bts remember when cupcake the rapper who is very into k-pop yeah. said that she wanted mm-hmm. a fuck was it jungkook i think yeah. And people were like, how dare you? And it's like this weird like savior thing. And then they just like said like these really disgusting, like anti-black racist. They were sending her death, death threats. threats. And that's so real in the community. And it's like, that's like something so toxic, toxic about the K-pop stand community that they just, like you said, they can't do any wrong and they don't care if they're, racist or anti-black or this or that in their rhetoric and even when the idol says anti-black anti-queer or, or anti-women mm-hmm. they, no it's like no they didn't do that they didn't mean that like oh blah 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 or it's a mistranslation <laughs> and they say it's a mistranslation but they don't actually speak korean themselves to know if it was a mistranslation <laughs> like i remember um i guess with the anti-queer going into the anti-queerness aspect of it so much so much of the interactions is like fan service and like they do it to sell like they'll do like be excessively touchy with each other or like i know there were some super junior members who would like fake fake kiss and all these like type of things right but then the idols end up doing doing insane things that are like completely homophobic despite them doing mm-hmm. all this fan service for the fans and it's just like a disconnect like i remember there was a whole problem with jb when he went on this one show i caught i think called celebrity romance and he was with another K-pop idol from another group, and they had been together at a cafe, and he's like, oh, seeing two men together at a cafe makes me want to punch somebody. And people were saying it was mistranslated, and I'm like, how many ways can you say? <laughs> it's a, that's a pretty direct thing to say. There's not much ambiguity there. Yeah, and someone else I can think of off the top of my head is Shiwon from Super Junior. He's like, very like openly anti-queer like very like she just says it like i don't believe in that that's wrong i'm like Mm -hmm. i see you making out with your homies like all the time on stage exactly (laughs) even even amongst the fans i've seen so many fans where they well they'll they'll love fan service and they'll they'll ship all these members and then the same people like i've actually because i've because sometimes i get so annoyed and i see the the homophobic and uh, anti-queer comments and i see them talking about shipping the members and then at the same time a few tweets later saying oh but if they actually came out or were actually queer then i would i would drop them i wouldn't listen to them anymore or 
they'll say all these awful things even though they ship and consume all this uh fan service uh-huh. so it's just so frustrating because it's like they they fetishize the queerness but then and whenever it's actual queer people they yeah. don't care <laughs> and they are yeah. hateful no definitely there's just so much fetishization like the fetishization of like korean men and women Mm -hmm. in general like which is asian fetishization also the fetishization of youth like a lot of these are very young people and very young like men and women and it's not only just k-pop fans fetishizing them it's like korean people in general korean men loving i don't I don't know, Red Velvet, and they're, like, all 17. And so even within Korea, like, they fetishize these girls and being like, oh, yeah, they're my type. It's like, that girl's 16. Uh, you're, like, 30. Uh, okay. Even the companies the, the companies will do it. Like, I've never understood people who, like, really uh, are fans of the company themselves because I try not to be a fan of companies. But, like, for a big hit, the the, the entertainment company for, for BTS, like, but whenever they first debuted, J- Jimin was like seventeen, but they were making him lift up his shirt and show his abs, and like obviously sexualizing him when he wasn't even eighteen. And even even at eighteen, I still think to be sexualizing them, they're still basically children. It's just like a a day difference doesn't suddenly make yeah. someone an adult, you know. And so many fans wait for the days that their idols turn eighteen, and it's so no, so it, creepy. it's definitely very creepy. Just like the amount of how these how these people are scrutinized sexually constantly by mm-hmm. by their own companies by fans by everyone and I, the pressure that these people have is so immense just what uh so a lot of people korean people on the internet and i think just people on the internet in general they're called netizens i don't know if you know this term but Korean, like Korean fans, mm-hmm. and just like a lot of, uh, I guess, Korean media, or the is mm-hmm. is usually called netizens, and they're always going to be commenting, oh, like mm-hmm. this is disrespectful, or they need to lose weight, or they need to be doing that, and there is just such a lack of free agency in K-pop with all these idols, and it's gotten a lot of companies in trouble. Like, how many times do we have scandals of uh, idols suing? or wanting to get out of their contracts that are usually at a minimum like five years so five years you're signing away your life to these people and they make all these decisions for how you look how much you eat where you live what you do who you see uh you can't date who you can be friends with a lot of them yeah you can't date all these things and nowadays it has compared to 10 years ago it's a lot better but it's not anywhere near like a lot of these people are over exhausted depressed as we have all known in the community like we all know that the these companies are literally abusing these people and but we still are consuming it and we're still paying into Mm -hmm. this like cycle of just i don't even know like young impressionable people who are insecure I always have their bodies scrutinized and and it's now just so oversaturated now we have hundreds of groups now we have thousands of yeah like um there's this one uh k-pop member from this one group called clc her name is soren uh she's a thai idol who went to korea and she uh has a she has like a little like a little videos thing she does on youtube and she was just talking about how Oftentimes, a lot of uh, the young K-pop idols or K-pop trainees, they have to choose between going to school or becoming trainees. So a lot of them will just drop out of high school. And then it's, it's just so sad because they'll drop out of high school and then with the hopes 
that they'll be able to debut sex- successfully, but it, the whole entire industry is so oversaturated that the likelihood that they will be successful, at least even moderately, is so low that they're basically banking on, on lowering their ability to get jobs in the future if they don't succeed or... Mm-hmm. Or they'll... Like, I, I know there was a, a couple of trainees who came out and talked about how they were... In order to afford some of the, the debts they incur from the training, they would, like, enter... I guess, relationships with patrons who would... Mm, they would prostitute themselves. They would become sex workers. Yeah, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so it's like, so all this done to hope to debut in a market that is, has hundreds of groups debuting a year and hoping that they'll that they'll be the one who have... that the, That's their lucky chance, that they'll be successful. And then they'll sign contracts which are against them, again, all with the hope that they'll succeed. It's so much abuse of what what is it? The K-pop industrial complex. It's it's like very <laughs> and it's very real. Like I don't even know how to describe it. Like it, it it's like so and we're and we're all buying into it. Like we're we're buying these 600 albums to meet them and I know that as you get more famous so i feel like this is something that is very similar with a lot of idols there is kind of like um like a life cycle of an idol so they'll start Mm -hmm. off as trainees and then hopefully they'll debut and if they debut it's very strict like they're working extremely hard to try to get more relevant be famous etc like not to fall on the wayside and then eventually they establish like a sort of constant relevance and they're able to branch out more. They might be able to date. They might be able to relax a little more. Like they have a little more agency, but it takes years to even develop a sort of sense of agency. And then and then you kind of go into and you get older and you get older and then people kind of like forget about you because you're older now. And then if you're a man, you have to go do your military service, which is like another thing <laughs> when people try to yeah. uh, put off and avoid their military service which military service in Korea is mandatory. And so there's usually a big a big deal for now older idol groups who were really big maybe five, six years ago. A lot of them are now going into the army. Once I... F- now this is a part of like the male K-pop idol uh, cycle. Once they come back from the military, they're like real men. So it, it's very interesting. And like as you get older, you go more into acting and by variety shows versus like actual singing yeah. and dancing. Mm-hmm. So it's it's a very it's very interesting like noticing this like cycle of changes because once you get old enough like people don't care about you and that's also another thing it's like age like once you get to a certain age people do stop caring about you in K-pop. We love we like we all love the amazing choreography videos but like that puts a lot of strain on the body. Um, mm-hmm. I was watching this show where they it, it was a BTS members and then some sexy sex keys I don't know how yeah, to say the name and HLT mm-hmm. members where they're on a show and it's like sex keys and HLT are like the original K-pop groups they were like the first K-pop groups and so they were talking about how they because of all like the choreography for them wasn't that bad but all, still all that constant pressure like they all they're all pretty young they're in like their 30s maybe 40s and they have to take all these like supplements for their bones and all these type of stuff and it's like this takes a toll on their bodies to be working for so long and for so many hours especially in their early debut when they'll train for hours and hours on end like this isn't healthy for the bodies no. to constantly Not do all, all the time there's always pictures of like injuries that idols get mm-hmm. and they're still like made to perform like kai in exo is someone that i can always think of that is like permanently injured mm-hmm. and 
And yeah, like um, a big reason why Tao from uh, EXO left was because his legs were like chopped off essentially. Like they were so bad. And he was like injured and then he just was like, bye. Like y'all are basically killing me. So I'm not going to be here. Like, yeah. And like, and the, and for them, since the contracts are so all encompassing, like he left, I think in 2015. And I think just recently, like maybe a couple weeks ago, there was like another update on his case. And it's like, it's been three years already. And he still hasn't been able to completely sever himself from his old entertainment company. And it's <laughs> there's so it's much wild. so many legal battles. Yo, like there's so K pop now is there the history of K pop is so complex. And it starts in like I think like mid nineties with like H O T and Sex Keys mm-hmm. and um Finkel and S E S. And these are like the OGs OGs. And then we go into um T V X Q, Tong Bang Shingi. Yeah. G-O-D. Yeah, <laughs> or yeah, yeah, G-O-D. and we go into NRG and all these groups, and then the biggest, the biggest deal was TVXQ, and dude, these were like gods. I mean, I still look at some of their old performances, and I'm like, y'all, like they're so talented. Like even compared to now, mm-hmm. uh, and like what is going on in K-pop today, I'm just like, yo, like they were so great, and they had. I think to the record still, mm-hmm. they hold the record for the biggest fandom in all time. And when they when they broke up, when uh, three members sued their company because they were they were in a 12-year contract that was just so strict, uh-huh. it was like the first time that a entertainment company was just like put on blast like that. And it like really, I think, caused a lot of I mean, they were the three members that wanted to get out of their contract, and then they ended up becoming their own free agents. Not even really free agents. They were mm-hmm. banned for so many shows. They, When they were trying to release yeah. their own music, they weren't allowed to go on to, like, promotions shows. A lot of their own shows were being pushed off of channels. Like, people were not... They were blacklisted, essentially, because SM and a lot mm-hmm. of these, like, really big media companies... They're all in cahoots with each other and they're able to just be like, no, blacklist them and then ruin people's livelihoods. And it's like an o- it's like very open secret. Like everybody knows that that happened. So mm-hmm. there's a lot of fucked up shit in K-pop and it sucks supporting them because I want to because I really genuinely love the music, the genres, the the innovation. Like it's a very innovative. It was at mm-hmm. least I don't know about nowadays. But I feel like nowadays it's just so <laughs> oversaturated and they just wait a few months after an American trend and then all the K-pop groups just do it again. I, I just honestly kind of fell out of yeah. love with K-pop mm-hmm. when I went to Korea because it was just it was like overwhelmingly so much. I was like, there's K-pop everywhere. I just can't handle it. <laughs> so I got really into Korean R&B and Korean rap. And even that is like becoming mm-hmm. extremely oversaturated because of Keith Ape and uh, Ichima. And that became so popular and famous that Korean rap is like very saturated now and I can't keep up with it. And it all sounds the same to me. I'm just like, there is no innovation. All, mm-hmm. all you're doing is biting off of like the Memphis beat, the southern like trap beats and and i think that's very similar in in k-pop with a lot of groups like they will jump onto american trends no i i i understand what you mean like honestly probably once once i guess bts 
officially, I guess, disbands. I guess I'll be like, uh, probably, I probably won't be keeping up with, with the K-pop bands, with K-pop anymore, because there's so many groups that come out, and then to keep on track with all of them is so, it's so time-consuming, and a lot of the groups, if you play their songs together, like, if you play their songs back-to-back, you can't really tell which group is which, because they all have a very similar-sounding yeah. sound, I guess. So man capitalism you know it just ruins everything (laughs) yeah (laughs) Uh, but i mean i still love k-pop and i still love like there are things that i still find in k-pop like they're still like more a little more obscure Mm -hmm. a little more underground or there's just some groups that have still been able to like maintain a sort of identity within k-pop that i still follow and really Mm -hmm. like i genuinely love shiny so much like shiny was like my favorite group and i always felt like they had main they had maintained a similar sound and they still are maintaining a similar sound even to today and um i don't even know if shiny's gonna promote anymore but who knows it's sad. No, it's really sad. Sad. But uh, who else? I like I like a uh, Block B a lot, but I don't even know what's up with that. <laughs> I don't know. Zico is just like doing his own thing, and it's like, yeah, like I think Block Block B were talking about how. Yeah, I, I I heard like that they were talking about always being together, but apparently now they were discussing their their contracts about how it's gonna end. It might end. Yeah, so, so many of my favorite groups like have disbanded. Like Sistar, I was on Sistar. They always brought out the summer jam. I was like, Hyorin, you're my queen. Blah, 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 blah. And they disbanded. Who else has disbanded? Miss A, uh, 21. Fucking everybody. All my loves and my dreams. And they're all mm-hmm. they're all gone. My favorite groups just done. Um, but so many groups kind of just disband because of really bad management. There's drama, some scandals, or just really bad things are happening so and they're all getting older they're all like we're done with this shit and like there's just so many young kids out there like why are we gonna be doing this okay so i think we're uh i think we're gonna end the conversation there i think we had a really good conversation because i genuinely (laughs) wanted someone to talk k-pop with it from a like latinx perspective and i'm happy that i finally found somebody (laughs) i'm happy too it's once we started talking, it was a lot less nerve-wracking than I than I expected it would be. <laughs> I know. I mean, I'm always nervous, too, every time I do an episode. Because it's like mm-hmm. I'm talking to someone I don't know. But um, mm-hmm. I'm happy that you were able to open up to me about personal stuff as well as just your K-pop opinions. Because I have a lot of them. <laughs> <laughs> me, too. <laughs> um, we're going to do the despedida. And mm-hmm. generally, when we close out. Sam does it. He want he always wants to like kind of end on a good note and like think about self care mm-hmm. and all that stuff. I'm not very good at like he is at thinking about concepts and putting them out there. But I guess something that I would want to talk about is something that you brought up, which is just keeping an open mind. Because I feel like with you, that's something that you've been very blessed to have in your life. And think having an open mind yeah. and being open to changes, being open to things that might shift things in your life. Be, be willing to, I guess, recognize when you might be wrong and then saying, okay, it, may, it might hurt to be wrong, but like the person, the people you hurt are more important in a way. And it's important to always evaluate how you're doing and how you can do better and how uh, nobody's perfect, but you have to work harder to, to overcome your, I guess, your, your faults and stuff like that. 
and always keep an open mind to others. Be, yeah, always be open, not only in terms of your mind, but be open towards criticism. Be open to you making mm-hmm. your own mistakes. Like, I, we fucked up. <laughs> as a podcast, yeah. as a podcast, we've fucked up a lot recently. So <laughs> we, you know, just learn from your mistakes and be better. Like that's all we can take from it right and uh if you fuck Mm -hmm. up and you end up ruining shit along the way like you have to own up to the consequences of like you ruin things and they might never get better which is on you like that's your own fault and you have to deal with that so it's like growing Mm -hmm. growing your own maturity into understanding what can happen to you in life as well as what is happening around you and being able to contextualize it and making sure that it doesn't make you uh, bitter or angry or lash out because things are changing around you. And mm-hmm. that's what I'm gonna. That's what I'm gonna end it on. Just like be open and be open for the world, and then be open for yourself. Whew. Yeah, that's that sounds good. <laughs> All right. All right. Thank you so much, Lucia. This was like so Hi. great. I loved it. <laughs> <laughs> thank, thank you for having me. No, no problem. Like hit me up send me cute uh k-pop pics recommend me groups like if you can like you can if you can recommend me some like k-pop that like you know is like good i'm always down because i i've been out of the game for a minute but i'm always uh willing to like (laughs) peek in and see what's up so oh i also never told you i had a a very brief uh fan tumblr (laughs) for uh i I for kai exo kai such drama. I I I was on Tumblr for a long time, and then I briefly I got into K-pop. I posted some K-pop stuff, but then I then I left Tumblr, and I was like, okay, this is the end for me. <laughs> I still have it. I privated it, but yeah, I have my my fan Tumblr still out there, but it's on private, so it's not out there. But yeah, thank you so much. I hope you have a really good week. I hope everyone that listens to this long ass episode has a really good week. And I hope this is something that y'all care about. I don't know. I don't know if people care about uh, K-pop or not, but who cares? I don't care. I hope it was interesting. I hope, yeah, I hope it was interesting. I, we were trying to make it as like friendly as possible, but also I wanted to have a gen- genuine conversation with someone. So I don't want to be explaining mm-hmm. every single term to everyone all the time. Okay. Well, have a good week, everybody. Thank you so much for listening and goodbye. <laughs>